Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, Today I'm going to be talking a little bit about the Yalta Conference in 1945. Um, If you've been listening recently, you'll know that I've done um, podcasts on the Casablanca and the Tehran conferences. Um, And so this is obviously the, the next logical step. And I think one of the things for me that's most interesting about the uh, wartime conferences is um, the development of Cold War politics even before the conflict has ended. There is a, um, a temptation on the part of historians to do this, oh, well, you see, but of course, you know, you start out with the, the thing that eventually does happen, the Cold War, and you trace back and look at this notion of inevitability. And that's always kind of a red herring, because obviously, you know, nothing is inevitable. And uh, much of what we do as historians would be pretty much invalidated if there were the, these kinds of notions. Uh, there is always the um, uh, the uh, possibility that events may not have unfolded as they do unfold um, uh, throughout the uh, the second half of the Second World War and the beginnings of the Cold War. But then again, that's to go into dangerous kind of counterfactual, slightly Nile Ferguson territory, and we must always endeavour never to go there. Anyway, by 1945, the um, facts on the ground, if you will, have changed so much um, since the uh, the Allies last met in Tehran um, that uh, it is becoming increasingly difficult, nigh on impossible, to resist um, Soviet demands for their own sphere of influence in Eastern Europe. These are not new demands. Um, When Churchill makes his first uh, bit of shuttle diplomacy to Moscow uh, after the invasion of the the Soviet Union by uh, the the Nazis, um, one of the conditions for uh, an alliance uh, that Stalin puts forward is that he must have a free hand in Eastern Europe. In Poland, the um, Molotov-Ribbentrop line um, must be um, honoured and Stalin must be given that portion of Poland at least. He obviously goes on to take an awful lot more. 
And Stalin, for a man who had suffered catastrophic reversals in uh, 1941, who had um, supposedly, though this does come from the memoirs of Khrushchev, uh, had suffered this kind of almost breakdown uh, when the extent of Hitler's betrayal becomes clear, um, he is remarkably confident about his ability to shape a post-war world uh, after nineteen, um, after the the end of the Second World War, this is even, as I said, in in nineteen forty one. Um, possibly, this is to do with um, Stalin having a far better grasp of Russia's resources and her ability to fight, and a, a reasonable understanding of history and Napoleon's uh, last invasion of uh, Russia. Possibly, it is to do with um, Stalin thinking to himself, well, there's there's no harm in demanding these things from Churchill because you never know where we're going to be in a few years' time. Um, it could be a, a combination of the both. Possibly it is kind of Stalin's bravado. Um, Stalin greatly enjoyed throwing people um, a curveball, seeing how they react and trying to kind of dominate them um, conversationally, verbally, um, particularly uh, testing what people like Churchill were made of. Once again, the problem that the Allies have and that Stalin knows about because um, he has uh, bugged the, uh, their uh, respective living quarters, um, the British and American delegations at the Levadia Palace in Yalta in the Crimea, um, and he's listening to them intently. In fact, it is um, Beria's son, uh, Beria being Stalin's chief of secret police, Beria's son that does the uh, the spying work for him. And he knows that the Allied powers, Churchill and Roosevelt, are speaking kind of at cross-purposes. They both want different things. Um, Roosevelt, who dies fairly shortly afterwards, has pushed himself to the point of near exhaustion, um, and well, beyond that point, in fact, uh, to create um, what he views as his legacy, which would be a, a united nations. It's interesting that um, the efforts to bring America into the League of Nations at the end of World War One resulted really in the uh, the complete coll physical collapse of Woodrow Wilson and his enormous stroke that crippled him uh, and left the rest of his presidency pretty redundant. And on in a similar way, um, Roosevelt puts the last of his, his life energies, really, into um, post-war shuttle diplomacy, or kind of the end-of-war shuttle diplomacy, um, to hopefully draw um, all the major powers into a United Nations that would create this uh, multipolar world, a world where you probably have four main powers, Britain, America, China and Russia, all with their spheres of influence. And this would, in Roosevelt's view, though he never drafted this into a specific doctrine, it's well documented this is basically where he was going, this four-power world would create some kind of balance because no one power um, would ever be able to really uh, do too much uh, and behave in too excessive a way if the other three powers were to gang up on them. Churchill was now a man possessed. He needed to get a result over Poland. He needed to make sure that there were free and open elections in Poland because ultimately the freedom of Poland was the issue that Britain had gone to war over with Germany, ostensibly, though whilst there are obviously many, many others. 
and the wartime sacrifices um, would have seemed somewhat of a waste of time had there, you know, had the country then be handed over to the Soviet Union. Roosevelt was just less concerned by Poland. Um, Roosevelt views it as being uh, part of the agreement with the Soviets that it would always be in the Soviet sphere of influence, that the Soviets would have their own sway in Poland. And Roosevelt's general view of these spheres of influence was that Britain and America have no business meddling in the Soviets. Also, Roosevelt wants something from the Soviets. There is um, a distinct possibility that, um, that the war against Japan will drag on and on and on. At this point in time, it's not, a, it's not a given that the atomic bomb will be used. That is, again, as fast-forwarding into history, into the future, and um, using what we know happens to come back and interpret uh, the six months beforehand. Well, there's, there's no um, understanding at Yalta that there will be uh, the detonation of an atomic bomb over Japan. And even then, there's no understanding that if that were to happen, that, that would result in Japan uh, collapsing. So the Americans look at the possibility of invading the Japanese home islands with some trepidation. The uh, forecasts for the amount of American soldiers killed dwarfs anything that um, America has endured during the Pacific War. So getting the Soviets involved uh, and their vast manpower um, would be absolutely um, uh, ideal from Roosevelt's point of view. Um, and Roosevelt is keen for the loss of American lives to come to an end. After all, there is um, an increasing war weariness in America. The war is clearly won. Um, there is a, a significant lobby that uh, wonders if, if there's any point continuing. Perhaps a, a, an agreement can be reached with Japan now, where Japan accepts some sort of uh, uh, some sort of peace treaty um, and then um, disarms itself. So uh, Roosevelt's anxious to prevent this, um, and yet anxious to. Uh, not have to bear the entire cost of an invasion and then an occupation of Japan. Later, Harry Truman looks at the possibility of um, a Soviet advance through Asia with uh, immense um, immense foreboding. Um, you, there is already um, the realisation that the Soviets have claimed Eastern Europe. And so perhaps one of the motivations for the detonation of the atomic bomb was to um, make sure that there would be no further Soviet annexations of uh, parts of China or Japan or uh, other Asian countries. And this is something I'll return to when we look at the Potsdam Conference in a few podcasts' time. Stalin was chiefly interested in Poland. Poland was the, the great prize for the Alta Conference. And Stalin had had, and you may have heard me refer to this before, had something of an obsession with Poland and the uh, the Poles. Not only had he uh, persecuted them in enormously disproportionately high numbers compared uh, within uh, the Soviet Union during the purges compared to the actual uh, relative percentages of Poles within Soviet society, uh, but he was obsessed with the um, the fact that Poland had pre frequently been used as a conduit to invade Russia, be it through Napoleon or via the Germans. And so Poland re represented this 
um, threat to Russia's security. And as the uh, innately paranoid Stalin uh, was obsessed with such matters, Poland was of the highest priority. And he viewed Poland as a prize as well, a uh, one of the, um, the tributes of war. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And something that he could extract from the Western Allies. The shape of the Cold War uh, world emerges at Yalta as well, with a number of agreements being uh, finalised. And these were things that had always been kind of mooted throughout the uh, the last um, sort of uh, eighteen months. So there would now be um, a division of uh, Germany and a division of Berlin, um, Berlin sitting within the Soviet zone of influence. Uh, the country would be divided into four zones: a British, French, American, and Russian. And so would Berlin. There would be. Um, there was originally a reluctance on the part of Stalin to grant France an occupation zone. I mean, he was thinking, well, what? What does the French? Why should the French get anything? Um, they were, um, you know, next to useless in 1940. Um, the uh, they, they capitulated. Half the nation collaborated. He rather admitted to mention, obviously, that while France was falling, he was allied to uh, Nazi Germany, um, and that uh, Stalin's war efforts in 1941 were uh, equally uh, equally questionable. Uh, there would be um, demilitarization of uh, uh, Germany and the process of denazification as well, which is a process which has uh, you know uh, questionable outcomes and uh, successes. Um, Stalin was very keen on reparations. Um, he believed that given the scale of destruction in Russia, that there should be special reparations to Russia, and was um, arguing for um, the uh, shipping en masse of large sections of the German population to carry out forced work in Russia. And, uh, and this indeed does, does um, proceed after 1945. Not only does Stalin use the um, millions of uh, German prisoners of war that the Red Army have captured 
but also um, they seized civilians from Eastern Germany, and they also seized civilians who are German uh, nationals and or ethnic Germans who uh, suddenly find themselves very unpopular in parts of Poland, Romania, Hungary, and other countries uh, that were either occupied or allied to Germany during the war. And these, the new governments in these countries don't want the trouble of dealing with these ethnic minorities who are roundly despised and hated. And so they are simply shipped off to Russia uh, to very uncertain fates indeed. Stalin agrees that the communist government that's already been installed in Poland, the Lublin government, um, will be, he, he says, you know, reorganised in a generally democratic way, i.e. other parties will be allowed into the government. And uh, between 1945 and 49, these parties are gradually, one by one, put out of business or um, assimilated into the Communist Party or infiltrated by communists and then uh, their constitutions shifted until they become sufficiently communist and then merged with the Communist Party. And so the promises that Stalin gives are, you know, eliminated one by one, not that they were particularly kind of promissory in the first place anyway. The question was mooted about permanently dismembering Germany, perhaps dividing it up into six countries. Um, this is really something that uh, doesn't, doesn't fly with the Western eyes particularly. And Stalin, in a, um, a rather uh, unsuccessful attempt to... Uh, shift the um, condition, the um, voting uh, conditions within the new United Nations, which he's agreed to join, uh, on the understanding that Russia will have a veto and sit on the Security Council. He wants um, all 14 of the um, Soviet Socialist Republics, so Kazakhstan, Russia, places like that, to have their own seat and thus give you know 14 or 13 additional votes to that which the USSR would have had and uh, wisely uh, the Western allies turn that one down. There is a, the question of um, tracking down fleeing Nazi war criminals, and the new United Nations has a uh, kind of a, a commitment to towards doing this. And that's not something that Stalin is overly bothered by, I don't think. Um, but he is, in, term, in, in terms of um, justice, in inverted commas, uh, particularly animated by uh, something else. He wants all um, Soviet nationals, uh, be they prisoners of war um, or Soviets who have fought for the Germans and are now prisoners of, uh, of the Allies, as the, um, the British take custody of a, a large number of Cossacks in uh, Austria. Um, they are to be sent back to the Soviet Union whether they like it or not. And the same applies for um, Yugoslavs too. Uh, and the British uh, repatriated tens of thousands of Cossacks to their deaths as part of the agreement with Stalin. It's the treatment of the Poles um, who the British were allied with which is particularly tragic. The Churchill said, you know, poor old, poor old Chamberlain, he thought he could trust Hitler and he was wrong, but I think that I'm probably right about Stalin. Um, and again, it shows you um, by this point in the war, Hitler, um, Churchill's kind of uh, hubris, if you will, his uh, sense of himself as being a kind of a, a great man of history and, uh, uh, and uh, infallible in his judgment. 
Um, fortunately, he had Sir Alan Brooke, his chief of Imperial General Staff, at his side for much of the war to uh, steer him away from doing uh, things that were uh, too too ludicrous. Um, the Poles who fought for the uh, fought with the British as the uh, the, the Polish brigade um, were either sent back to Poland, where they came under immense suspicion and harassment and very often imprisonment from the new Polish regime. Uh, a great many of the 200,000 Poles that fought for uh, Britain uh, suddenly found that where they had lived was now uh, had now been annexed by the Soviet Union as the Soviet Union moved eastwards. Uh, westwards, I beg your pardon, terrible geography. Um, and this caused you know, an, an immense amount of distri- distress that the everything they had fought for um, for the last four or five years had suddenly evaporated um, over a conversation between Churchill, Roosevelt and Stalin. It seems to me particularly that um, Roosevelt wanted to believe in Stalin too much. He was uh, blinded really by uh, a desire to... Um, for Stalin to be the the figure that that he wanted him to be, for Stalin to um, cooperate in the way that um, Roosevelt hoped he would, um, a week or two in early March, so a fortnight after the end of the conference, Roosevelt concedes that he's been over optimistic with Stalin, and uh, Avril Harriman, who was uh, once his ambassador to London. Um, and uh, a very, very close Roosevelt uh, foreign policy insider um, says, you know, there's, there is, um, we must concede that the Soviets have purely totalitarian intentions. Now, this, I think, is an interesting um, sort of pivotal moment in the, the evolution of the early Cold War. The period between Yalta and Potsdam, things very rapidly change within the US administration. Um, the naive optimism that um, Roosevelt had for um, Stalin, it doesn't just die when Roosevelt dies in April. It seems to be on the way out a month earlier. And it's possible that um, in this last month of Roosevelt's life, um, the real, the, the, you know, the, the fighting in the war is, is over all bar the shouting. There is, you know, the uh, war finally in Europe finally ends on May the eighth, and up until this point, up until the first two or three, three or four months of nineteen forty-five, there's been precious little time or energy to focus on the question of Stalin because the question of Hitler has just been far much more pressing. The um, American Americans, particularly Roosevelt, have perhaps. Um, participated in their own deception about Stalin, wanting it to be true, and desiring it to be true, because in, um, the the needs of a war uh, against Hitler um, require uh, an optimism uh, of of Stalin. And once the um, the war is clearly won, um, the uh, the thoughts of uh, Stalin's um, genuineness and Stalin's reliability obviously begin to change. Anyway, I'll be continuing this um, at some point in the near future on the subject of the Potsdam Conference. Um, 
there is a new Explaining History title available this week. Uh, if you go to www.explaininghistory.com, Julia Routledge's brilliant The Genocidal Century um, is available to download. You can check it out. It is a uh, history of uh, genocides in the 20th century, looking at five key ones, um, Armenia, uh, the Jewish Holocaust, the Soviet famines, the Rwandan genocide, and the Cambodian killing fields. And it is, has a, an excellent uh, discussion of Raphael Lemkin, who, as we know, was uh, the guy who really created the modern conception of genocide and the modern legal framework by which it can be prosecuted. So check it out. It is a brilliant read. I entirely recommend it, especially if you're doing A-level history. It's well worth uh, well worth getting because it gives you a, an excellent big picture of some pretty important 20th century themes. Thanks very much, and I'll catch you on the next podcast. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.